Welcome to Beyond the Tech, a Brian and Alex production. I'm your host, Brian McDonald, founder and CEO of The Digital Board. And today I'm with my co-host, Alex Alexander, a former CTO and founder of Zoots. Beyond the Tech is a brand new podcast where we talk to some of the world's most inspirational tech leaders who are today helping shape and influence the future of business through both innovation and exceptional change leadership. Our hope is that through these talks, we can learn some of their secrets while exploring their journey from their early beginnings and hearing some of the bold moves they made to become the prominent leaders they are today. At the end of the podcast, we will try and summarize five big takeaways to share with you to help you navigate some of your own big challenges. Okay, let's get started with our first guest. In this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different as I'm going to interview my co-host, Alex Alexander. For those of you who don't know Alex, he's been an accomplished CTO for over two decades, working for some of the world's most renowned brands, including Walmart, Ukes Netaporti, the Emirates Group, Sainsbury's, Barclays Bank, and Egg. Not only has Alex been a highly successful CTO, but he's also an accomplished entrepreneur. He's now on his second venture, having recently launched a new business called Zoots. Zoot's purpose is to help organizations improve the productivity of their teams while delivering digital products to market faster. They have developed an innovative approach, leveraging your business system's data, along with AI to create transparency throughout the value chain of systems delivery. So let's kick off and explore a little bit of Alex's journey from CTO to CEO. I'll try and keep this light and entertaining while asking some challenging questions around his time at some of those renowned brands. Alex, great to see you. We finally put this thing together. Fantastic. I'm really excited, I have to say. So introductions, I'm Brian McDonald. I'm the CEO and the founder of The Digital Board. And Alex, I think I already gave you quite a great plug at the beginning. So why don't we just dive in, get started with a couple of your stories around your leadership journey. And I think you highlighted sort of the big points in my career, but if I sort of just take a macro view of that, um, Brian, and actually say, what are they yeah. amongst all of these roles? What are the things that actually shape me as a person I am today? I have to look to two critical points in my career. First one was um, a, an internet startup bank. Um, which uh, really tr tried to transform banking by bringing banking online. That was the most exciting time because actually this is the time that I got this obsession with e-commerce. It was the earliest stage of e-commerce. I have to say it was a little bit intimidating knowing how close you are to the customer and every launch, every product that we were doing at the fraction of the time that everybody else was bringing products to market. But I got this obsession and I loved it. I will also say about Egg, it was the most empowering culture that I've ever experienced. And it changed me to a better person. Now, you described quite a significant transformation that Egg were leading in the sector. If we go back in time, telephone banking was just coming in. Internet banking was, well, really quite immature. And then there's Egg, this new disruptor redefining the customer experience in retail banking. You must have faced quite a bit of resistance and you must have really shocked some of the industry with your thinking and, and thinking of your, your colleagues around you. Yeah, I think probably the, the 
best way to explain that is how Prudential, who owned Ag, uh, and that was obviously a startup that they created. So we would turn up, and obviously our headquarters was in um, Derby, and uh, we would turn up in London in the Prudential building, um, and we would turn up in jeans and trainers, having launched an online product in sort of record time. I remember I launched a product for a straight-through online banking in six weeks. Uh, and of course, you know, six weeks was scary. Uh, it scared me as well, but we did it. And when Pru used to see us, they couldn't understand how these bunch of guys with jeans and trainers, uh, and they would ask us, say, how do you do that? Something like that would take us two or three years to do. Uh, and they used to think that um, we were a little bit crazy. <laughs> we were a little bit, uh, um, you know, doing things that was against the norm and against what everybody had considered the time that it would take to launch a product. But we kept doing it. And I remember one of the key moments in uh, my career, which, you know, I had read books about it, the first mover advantage. Uh, and of course, we knew, I knew the theory of that. But uh, in one of our products, which was our credit card, the first mover advantage became a reality for us because we knew there were two or three other competitors of us that they were also launching a credit card. And effectively, we worked day and night. And the whole company came behind that to make sure that we could launch it. And I think we launched it one day ahead of our second competitors and perhaps one week and then one month against the second, third, and fourth. And of course, a week later, nobody heard about the second, third, and fourth because they just didn't have the customers that we had. So the first mover advantage yeah. was also something that I learned in real life. Uh, and I think these are the you know, lessons that uh, serves me for the rest of my career. Alex, I'm really curious to know more about the culture back then. Sounds creative, experimental. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? You know, everybody was experimenting with internet. We were executing with internet. And of course, we were learning huge amount. We were making mistakes and we were learning and moving forward. But again, because it was new, and sometimes we were taking really bold steps to launch a product, um, mm -hmm. then we would make mistakes, but it was empowering. Uh, and nobody would got blamed for mistakes, but everybody got praised for taking that step forward for the customer. I love that summary, Alex. Culture would have played a significant part, but it really required leadership and also alignment. And I'm sure that alignment was with multiple stakeholders. Can you walk us through just a little bit more of your experience of gaining alignment, gaining trust? And then maybe explain a, a little bit about the leadership qualities that were required at that time and, and, and those that you saw around you. They were all from a banking uh, background and, um, and they've worked together before. But the moment I walked in the interview, I knew this was a special place. I knew this was a place that I wanted to be. Everybody had this desire to do something transformational for the customer. And they had this notion of dancing with a customer. We used to have this um, induction and you really had this um, immersion into what is it like to really delight the customer. When you have these inductions, you go back to your day job and it is something completely different. But it, at Egg, it was actually the same. Everybody had gone through that induction. Everybody wanted to do something different for the customer. And that's why um, it was the most... Um, exciting part of my career just because it was new, it was bold, it was fast-paced, uh, and we were so close to the customers. Alex, you had come from a consulting background prior to that, so you would not 
have been seen as the deep techie, my guess is you would have a much clearer sense of what the business ambition was and, of course, how to align technology towards that. I'm just curious how you got your engineering teams aligned. Can you tell me a bit more about that? I think um, what we did, um, and I think this was quite um, common in Ag, is that we worked as teams. Uh, so we had to learn together, we had to experiment together, and we did lots of experiments together. But then once we decided that this was the right thing for the customer, we will embark on it. Uh, we will do user journeys. We will um, uh, not only look at, you know, happy scenarios, we will also look at, uh, you know, edge cases. And we worked through our business processes while at the same time we were actually building those uh, processes in terms of uh, the technology that was underpinning it. And one of the things that, you know, you can never predict in any startup is that uh, what's the response from customers. And of course, in every product that we launched, the response was just, it was incredible. And was that one of your defining moments, do you think, that said, okay, I mean, you talked to it at the beginning, the, the culture was like no other you'd experienced and no other that you've gone on to experience. So it, clearly from that perspective, it was a defining moment. But from a leadership perspective, was that the was that the beginning of your journey of of being bold, being different? Absolutely. Uh, I think it made me fearless, and I think uh, the culture of Egg, because it was zero blame, uh, it was very empowering. Meant that you became fearless. That uh, as experienced um, leaders, you knew which corners you could cut, but also you knew which corners you you had to uh, protect, and you could not cut those corners. And I think balancing all of that was a constant balance that we had to do in order to launch products uh, at pace, yeah. but at the same time, you know, making sure that the product was right for the customer. So it was a defining yeah. uh, moment um, for me. And I think it's something that obviously made, um, shape me as a person that I am. So that's such a great story, Alex. How do you follow that? Uh, second moment for me, that was a defining moment was as the Walmart times, uh, because, mm -hmm. um, I was recruited by US, so my you know, office base was San Francisco, but I was assigned to UK market, of course, Asda. And Asda was like a startup. It was just the most amazing organization, empowering, fast-paced. Uh, in some ways, it reminded me of Egg. It was almost like going back to the Egg time because it just felt that you could do anything. You could launch anything. And it was that fearless culture that I mentioned that we had developed at Egg. I felt it had the backing of the, everybody. Uh, and we, we would launch products uh, again at uh, most incredible pace. But I think the contrast for me between California that was bringing lots of innovation, uh, the can-do mindset, rolling your sleeves up, you know, traditional retailer that we had in Leeds was the most amazing contrast for me as well because amazing people that I enjoyed working with them. But also that contrast was important. And one big lesson that I learned um, because one of my jobs was to bring the innovation from uh, California to Asda yeah. was that any innovation had to be grounded in the realities of UK markets. What I mean by that, that it had to resonate uh, with, you know, someone's grandma doing an online shopping from North of England. So it had to be um, relevant to, to that person. So that was another big lesson for me from um, those amazing period in my life, which again, it was empowering. Okay, let's put this into context. Alex, if I understand you correctly, on one level, you're working for the mothership in California, but representing the local business, in this case, as the Walmart, which has its own identity, its own culture, its own complexity. 
And of course, his own strategy, his ambition to to outperform its competitors. On another level, you've got to get alignment with mothership Walmart. Walmart, as you've described, have created this fantastic capability in Walmart Labs. And that's all about bringing into to focus innovation into the different business units that it runs around the world. And there is you sitting in between those two distinct parties. You've got to get close to your business stakeholders, understand what it is the differentiation that they're looking for, what they're trying to create in their marketplace, and what can change that. And then there's all the maneuvering and navigation in those conversations and the courage to to convince people that this is a bet worth going for. It's a really uh, great point. And I think this was a major part of my role because I had to bring the right technology and innovation to UK, but also at the same time, when it came to grocery online, UK was ahead as there was ahead than uh, US. So I actually had to take that uh, know-how and technology uh, to US as well. But it was always a balancing act because I had to gain the trust of, as the leadership, for them to believe that some of this technology wasn't just a hype, it was actually real and it could actually help as they grow. Um, at the same time, I had to get the backing and support of US leadership, in particular in San Francisco, uh, where most of this innovation was being done to say, no, 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 let's invest in UK and let's divert our attention, our resources to that. And I remember uh, one particular moment um, that I heard an opportunity for Asda to be ahead of the queue for one of the big products that we were de developing, which was um, in an order management system. I felt that there was an opportunity and, and I got the backing of UK that evening to say, what if you could do this? What if you could bring that expertise and the know-how and the product to UK? And I got sort of a sort of reasonable response uh, with lots of uh, ifs and buts. Um, but it was enough for me to jump on a flight the next day uh, and go straight to San Francisco and actually get that support. Um, and that became a reality, uh, literally uh, a couple of weeks later, that we reprioritized other markets. We brought that expertise to UK, and it was uh, one of the most incredible moments in my career. Alex, I think your positivity is quite infectious. I'm sensing that you bring a lot of energy to the mission, not just in aligning your stakeholders, giving them confidence and building trust with them, but it's really about you as a leader of people, how you bring those teams with you, how you create this, yes, we can attitude. Yes, we will do this attitude. We're going to do this attitude. Is that fair? I think it's fair. And also it's connecting the dots. I had to connect lots of dots to make that connection happen. And then obviously I had to do influence, uh, maybe a group of leaders that they didn't have to work so closely together. And I was sort of bringing that energy. And exactly as you said, the can-do mindset that we could do this, put that energy into everybody to say, it is possible we could do this. And then figuring out, of course, at the time, I didn't know how to do it, but obviously figuring out together how that could be done. Because, I mean, even then, tech was maturing to a point where more people were getting confidence that the tech could do what you ask it to do, but not perfect. Today, even better as you go along, but the change management attached to that, the stakeholder engagement, the buy-in, the credibility, the trust that you have to build, not just with your stakeholder group in, in ASDA locally, 
who will be nervous because, you know, retailers like predictability. They like differentiation, of course, but like predictability. But you've got also stakeholders in California who might have that earmark for something else, whatever it is. But change is hard. How did you begin to convince the leadership of Asda at the time that this would differentiate them? It wasn't easy. I would say different cultures and it needed energy and it needed some risks. Uh, and I was taking risks because I didn't have a definite yes from UK to say, yes, we will do it. So there were some reservations. And of course, I didn't have a definite yes from San Francisco to say, yes, we're going to divert resources. We're going to reprioritize. We weren't going to do this other market, but we're going to focus on Asda. So I had to really, in some ways, put myself in the middle of this and just trying to influence and convince. But when I look back, one of the skills that I had to develop and hone um, was uh, storytelling, you know, being able to influence at that level. And, and of course, you can't just say, trust me, I'm a technologist. Um, uh, this would be yeah. fine on the day. I had to be really uh, open and honest because, you know, um, as the leadership and the U.S. leadership, they wanted to get down to the level of detail to say, well, how would that work? So I really had to, you know, explain that in a way that how it would, how it would work uh, and what commitment was required from either party uh, to make that um, happen. That was the glue. And of course, you know, if it had not happened, it would have been a very short career for me because we wouldn't be doing this podcast. So I had to put my reputation and trust me because we will make it work. And it wasn't easy because, um, you know, like any change of this nature, which is of global uh, nature, uh, there's always resistance to change. There's always, uh, even I remember uh, on, on my side, on my tech side, uh, the teams were coming through three different time zones um, and English was not uh, spoken um, across all of the teams. Uh, and in week one, we had a major setbacks because they weren't talking to each other. And I was really worried whether this was the beginning of the end. Uh, and I made, you know, immediate decision to say, we stopped uh, talking on the call. We all come to US, San Francisco. We all meet there and we, we spend uh, one week in workshops uh, and nobody leaves until we figure out how to do this so that we are on the same page. And probably that was the uh, pivotal decision that I made to say, okay, we don't all speak the same language and even if we spoke uh, the same language. We didn't understand each other because of the different context. Everybody on the plane, we all meet in one place for one week and we will figure it out. And I think that was the pivotal moment because then everybody got the line. We just realized that actually no matter which tech team you were from, at the end of the day, we all had the same purpose and we wanted to make this a success. So by having period together, socializing together, you know, having a beer together, we actually built mm. a team that was able to deliver this in seven months, which to this day, I still don't know how we did it in seven months because something like this is a two-year project. Alex, those were two great stories. But can I ask you a direct question? What do you think it takes to be a really successful leader in this context? I would say the first thing is that you need to really, really sell and explain the purpose. What is it that we're doing and why is it important? And mm -hmm. make it relatable to them. So what is a purpose for a business? It needs to be translated in terms of what does that engineer uh, needs to understand that purpose? What does it mean for that engineer? What does that engineer need to do 
So it's relatable and acting as the translator so that purpose becomes contagious. And everybody talks about that purpose. That's why they're doing this. That's why they're coding this. That's why they're documenting this process. That's why they're doing the business case. And that's why we need to deliver this. So that creating that contagious, that is the why we need to do this. Love I would it. say yeah. it's um, number one uh, lesson because without that, it doesn't matter whether you've got the greatest team because they haven't got that sense of purpose. And I think, you know, that one week in San Francisco, we got everybody together. That was for the first time. We all got the line on that purpose. And the second yep. thing for me is that um, when we make a promise based on that purpose, no matter how tough it is, we've got to do it. I think the third one is about giving that autonomy and creating the right environment for the team to, because we had some amazing talent to do this because you can't do it with, you know, without having an amazing team. But of course, having an amazing team exceed the potential, what they think it's possible they can do, you need to give them space. You need to give the most talented individuals the space to be creative coming up. So you need to get out of the ways in some ways and just making sure mm -hmm. that they know that no matter what mistakes they make, you're going to have the backs and they will test you because there will be times in any major program that you make mistakes. Uh, everybody makes mistakes, but they look to you to say, if I made a mistake, is Alex going to have my back? And the answer is, no yeah. matter what, you've got to have the backs because they trusted you. Alex, I think it's great advice. I mean, if you think about people's route into technology and their career path, they start off in very technical, often precise roles where it's their IQ that has got them there. There's, you know, various routes through that, whether, whether that's engineers coding, whether that's project managers uh, engaging in, in delivery um, or, or people involved in solutioning, they're all quite precise, these roles, very specific. Um, they don't really necessarily focus on some of the core leadership disciplines that are needed at a, at a more senior level. And then at some point they advance through their career and the pivot is much more towards strategic leadership, strategic purpose, understanding, well, understanding mission and, and purpose and people, mapping stakeholders, understanding their different drivers and priorities, being able to create stories and, and build by it, focusing on the why we would say, that's what we're really talking about here. That's what we're looking for is people who can recognize what the business strategy is, what the business purpose and mission is and uh, alongside the ambition and, and how do they, how do they bring their skills and their leadership and the technology capability to, to align to that ambition. It sounds like you are doing all of that, but I'm hearing a bit more. I'm hearing that. There's this bit about going the extra mile, creating a belief system in your people where they felt empowered. And I don't want to exaggerate or over-egg this, but I think you're making people feel that they're superhuman, that you've got their back, that they can learn, that they can fail, they can experiment. And, and it seems your leadership that you bring, it's like your, your superpower. So Alex's career story, so far we've touched on disruptive internet banking. We've talked about transformational leadership in grocery. 
Now, Alex, if you indulge me, we're going to shift gears into the world of luxury fashion and not just luxury fashion, but online luxury fashion. The disruptor of all of that, which was Netaporti. Alex, can you just describe a little bit more about the Ukes Netaporti challenge? Maybe a little bit about where they were, what their ambition was. What were they trying to get at in, in terms of their future direction? They were clearly a player and, and an established player in the online luxury fashion world. But can you share some of that story with us? I joined Yooks. Uh, so it mm. became Yooks at a Porter almost soon after I joined. So obviously, then the target was to converge the platform and create a world's largest um, uh, online fashion and luxury platform. And again, for me, that was one of the motivations that why I joined because I'd seen many platforms being built. I'd built some of those platforms, but I'd never built an end-to-end e-commerce platform, uh, everything from front-end to back-end to order management. And of course, it is a big undertaking. And building it for uh, 40-plus brands, it's something that I meant that everything that I learned in my career up to that time, I had to put to test. And I felt that I want to prove that I can build a platform that could support 40 brands. So that was a motivation for me as well. But I think taking people on the journey, building those relationships was probably the most important thing that some of my learning from um, as a Walmart helped me because in Italy, a lot of things get done through relationships. It's not transactional mm-hmm. that you can just say to somebody, just do this. No, no, you need to talk to people. They need to explain things. And I never forget one week after I joined uh, and I moved that moved to um, Bologna where our head office was, um, I said, um, I want to have all hands. I want to really talk to uh, everybody in the team. And of course, at the time, I was just CIO of the Ukes part. So I only had one week there, so I didn't really speak um, Italian. For three days, I just studied Italian as best as I could, day and night. I just put myself through learning Italian. And then faced with 450 uh, of my team in this big uh, hall, I introduced myself. uh, I welcomed them um, in Italian. And I never forget it. The moment I did this, the whole room erupted and they just sort of stood up and clapped because they were just surprised that I made an attempt, of course, broken Italian, yeah. not, nothing um, to talk about. But the fact that I had yeah. tried to connect, that created emotional connections between us as early as the first week. Um, so that was uh, an incredible feeling. And of course, this was just one example. Uh, of the relationship building was important and how to create that connection to everybody. Alex, it feels like despite all of the leadership skills that you've had to deploy, your super strength is really in leading people. The people aspect, I think is sort of uh, something that I've always had. But of course, you improve that uh, and in different environments uh, and you take the best of it. And of course, the two examples that I mentioned, the pivotal points, egg, and as the Walmart's working with some amazing people, I realized that's what I wanted to be. But you see, you made a very mm-hmm. good point I want to come back to. You said the environments that I've been in, they're all pressure cooker environments. Uh, you, know, you may not use that word, but I say that, and they have been. They've always been a pressure cooker because there's always been an urgency to do something. But what I've always done is to protect my team from that uh, you know, pressures that I've had to deal with. 
And somebody said to me in the early part of my becoming a CTO, CIO, I said, it's a very lonely role. Are you sure you want to do this? And, mm. and that person was right. There were times that I felt so lonely because I had yeah. to protect my team. I couldn't share something with my team. And I had to figure out a way that I could manage upwards, but at the same time to get the work done in a different way. And it was lonely at times. And I've had to deal with all of those uh, in some of the pressure cooker environments, but you learn how to manage those and you become more resilient. And it's back to the grit that I mentioned. You become stronger um, that you, yeah. know, you protect your teams. You always, you always smile so that you don't want to worry them. Uh, but you, you have that worry on your mind and you've got, to, you've got to find a way of solving it. It's fair to say that the CIO or CTO role, in fact, any C-suite level role, it's, it's a lonely role. I mean, C equals lonely. Leaders in this position often feel that they have to take the pressure themselves and protect the teams and own that responsibility. And perhaps that's a podcast in itself for another time. Let's go back to you, Alex, as a leader, because what I think is really interesting about you is that you are laser focused on people to make it fun, to make it ambitious. I think that's, that's fantastic. This podcast is meant to provide inspiration to others aspiring to be group CIO or group CTO, but it's also meant to provide some uh, validation or affirmation to those in those roles, listening to each other's stories. Is there any particular advice that you would give? Well, first of all, I would say the role of a CIO or a CTO in the, in the C-suite right now is the most complex uh, of all the C-suite role. I'm, um, I'm very firm and convinced about that statement. And it, and it wasn't always like this. So I would say 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said that. But right now, I would say is the most complex of all the C-suite roles. And I, there are reasons what I would say that. It's just because uh, apart from hundreds of projects that uh, you need to deliver, the various you know, business stakeholders that you need to support and understand the businesses. And of course, technology is moving at such a fast pace. Um, vendors have become very powerful. So not only you need to understand which tech to choose, but also you need to make sure you get the best deal for that tech. Of course, there is um, employer branding because obviously if you don't attract the right talent, so there is lots to be done. But mm-hmm. if I was giving advice to either a new CIO, CTO, or anyone else, there are two things that first of all you need to focus on because uh, they could destroy your career and could at the same time destroy the company that you're serving. Uh, first of all, cybersecurity, and with that also includes data privacy, um, GDPR and data protection. You don't want to have a uh, security breach or data breach uh, anytime, but certainly if you're new, you don't want to have it in the first 12 months because um, eventually you lose your uh, credibility. And of course, it's devastating for the company as well. So that's one thing you've got to pay immediate attention on and a constant attention on. The second uh, one is uh, availability. We have seen and we have heard about many examples of outages, uh, and you don't want to have an outage uh, if you're new in the first 12 months uh, and certainly any other time. So you really need to make sure that everything that you do is to make sure that you have uh, protected that. At the end, the business takes it for granted that their uh, technology leader is going to take care of this. And in some ways, they take it for granted. You're not going to get any brownie points for saying, okay, I didn't create a breach or I didn't have an outage. They expect you to do that. 
So what the measure you on is execution. Whatever that execution mm -hmm. agenda is, whether it is digital transformation, whether it is cost savings, whether it's delivering a, you know, a new problem, whatever it may be. And you really need to understand what the priority is and what you need to focus on. And what is key in that uh, execution is the productivity of your team, because everything is about delivering software and cutting code isn't unlike any other thing that uh, you do because it's human centric. I think this is great. Focusing on execution and delivery and, and meeting deadlines and, and doing all of the required stakeholder management on route. I think that sounds like it seems to be pretty important in your, in your mantra. But maybe you also went a bit further and when you're instilling this culture of, you know, delivery that is all about standing by your promises and going the extra mile so that you deliver and you create an environment where people want to deliver. If I was being a little bit devil's advocate, this, this is what's expected of, you know, isn't, isn't the, isn't the real goal to go way beyond that and, and to define a culture that is ambitious and help them think about the context in which they are doing all of this while, while you really understand the organization's culture and ambition and strategy and even the politics that surround it. How do you begin to think about helping your teams do those things and navigating the, the politics, anticipating the headwinds that they might, you know, find themselves running into? I mean, in our framework, Alex, you've seen it many times, you know, I have this EQ, IQ framework. And on the EQ side, we have major competency areas like leading through ambiguity, which is all about political navigation, dealing with uncertainty, operating with numerous options that can be adopted based on different either economic situations or or even you know political situations where different leaders need different things at different times um how do you prepare your teams for that i'm super curious to hear your thoughts around that i think first of all you need to know their business so you need to know what the chief marketing officer is worried about you need to understand what the ceo is worried about spend time in their business and make sure that you get credibility by knowing their business how you can help them uh, and build that relationship with them. And you can only build that when you can speak the language, when you speak the language of a CMO, what the CMO is looking after, what are the priorities. You need to do that earlier on as well, because when things go wrong and things do go wrong, mm -hmm. then they give you time. They give you some slack to recover the situation because you try to understand what are the things that they are worried about and how you can help them. These are key. And, and one of the... But the key things I would say across all the business stakeholders, um, I try not to bore the stakeholders with how software development is done, how technology is delivered, because in some ways they don't care. Okay, Alex, I know I gave you a bit of an introduction at the beginning of the podcast, but it would be remiss of me not to allow you a minute or so to explain Zoots in your own words. Brian, the Zoots story and why I formed this tech startup a few months ago is linked to my story of how I got here. It's uniquely shaped by my career, my learnings, and experiences with large uh, global teams to improve the productivity. I would say in every company I worked in, fast-paced execution and elevating productivity of my team 
has always been an expectation and hence central to my objectives. So what got me motivated and gave me the passion and the reason to set up Zoots was to give something back, share my learnings and help other um, aspiring CTOs, CIOs and other technology leaders to succeed in this uh, very complex world of tech. And it's kind of related to my earlier advice to all aspiring CTOs that they need to be laser focused on execution because this is how they're judged by the business leaders. I want to do this in a systematic way and use generative AI to translate the learnings into a tool for uh, all technology leaders, software engineers, and also business leaders because they often see technology as a black box. So it gives them a chance to shine the light into the black box of IT. And I believe. This will help organizations in all sectors to accelerate the digital journey by tapping into the power of AI to bring not only efficiency and cost optimization, but also better decision-making in every aspect of the journey from talent selection to technology delivery. And hopefully, you know, my answer is giving you an insight into my motivations uh, as uh, why I set up uh, Zoots. Alex, what a great story. I think um, we all came away with a very solid understanding of where your passion sits and what your motivations were for setting up Zoots. Great story and thanks for sharing. So Luke, we've now come to the part of the show that we agreed we would give people five solid takeaways, takeaways that they could apply to their role as a leader. You shared some great stories. I'm gonna do my best to try and summarize five of the ones that stood out for me. There were many more, but these are the ones that hit me. In takeaway one, I think I heard through your egg story, the need to be bold, the need to be different and the need to really go for things. I think you, you use the term, you know, taking advantage of first mover advantage. I think I heard a second takeaway, which is don't be afraid to try things, to push yourself. You made some really interesting moves. If, if I think about the Walmart as the, and the labs scenario, you talked about taking your teams out to California, speaking different languages from different cultures with maybe a different context coming into it. And your job was to get them locked down in a room on a single mission. And, you know, that wouldn't have been easy. You were new in there as well, but you pushed yourself and you went for it. And then you also, you provided another example in that when you moved to uh, Italy, to the Netaporti role, you left your family behind. You had to learn yourself a new language, a new culture and a new industry. And that, well, that would have made you vulnerable. Um, but it clearly helps you grow. So takeaway two, don't be afraid. Third takeaway, and maybe it's connected, but I think it's, you know, taking risks. And without taking risks as a leader, you probably never know what you're capable of. So by trying things that are difficult, that are in some way very challenging, emotionally, psychologically, um, that will help you grow as a leader. You'll be able to draw on that experience and it will give you a confidence to, to go again and to inspire others to go with you. And, and maybe the fourth, and, and, and I'm giving them as if they're thought through in a chronological order, but they're not necessarily uh, that way. But I think 
you seem to be laser focused on what the organization you were working for was trying to achieve. And then you were laser focused around making sure that you created value in that sense so that they engaged and you in turn built trust. So anyway, be laser focused on what the business ambition is, understand the culture that you're operating within, understand the drivers of those leaders that you are working with, understand the team's drivers and align them all to the business ambition and the strategy. And then the fifth takeaway, and I think this is the most single important thing that you are about, and that is people leadership. And of course, you know, the stakeholders that we're describing in the business are people, but I really heard a lot about you as a leader of people, about your teams and where you've created an environment in which they want to work for you, that they will go beyond, way beyond the extra mile because, well, you've inspired them. You have led from the front. On one level, you know, you've, you've just given them the confidence to operate and, and the support to allow them to fail and to learn and to grow and, and being their inspiration and coach. Brian, I agree. These are five great takeaways. Well done for summarizing it uh, so well. I couldn't have done it better myself. Alex, this has been fun. Next time you are going to have to share some of the question asking when we bring our next guest on. But it's been fun to listen to your story, to try and pick at what's made you the successful leader that you've become today and to hear what advice you can share uh, with others en route. I really appreciate the chance to do this. I'm going to improve my question asking skills and make sure I get right at the heart of some of those things. But I think you've been a fantastic co-host and guest. Thank you, Brian. And I really enjoyed the in-depth questions and going to the heart of some of the special moments. So thank you for being curious and then asking those amazing questions and going to a particular part of my career that I've not visited. I've not gone back to those times <laughs> as you touched on it. So Alex, next time it's you and I together with our first guest and we will announce who that is very soon. If you found value in today's episode, please hit the like button and subscribe for future insights. Your comments and questions are the heartbeat of this podcast, so feel free to share them on social media or even via email. So until next time, this is Brian and Alex signing off. So bye for now.